When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast, a podcast that really should be previewing or talking about the Merseyside derby at Goodison Park, but has been cancelled due to coronavirus. Uh, Phil Kirkbride not available today, not because of coronavirus, (laughs) just uh, on holiday. Uh, so I'll be host, I'm Sam Carroll, and I'm joined by Chris Beasley, Adam Jones and Dave Prentice to talk about all things without football. How are we, lads? Yeah. All right. Bored. Fe- Bored. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling well, that's that's the main thing, I suppose. <laughs> I think it was um, it was summed up yesterday, wasn't it, by Kiva, who's also on the sports desk, when she said... Uh, I'm that bored. I've started watching cats playing cricket. Yeah, that's what <laughs> she was. Just a little, time there was a little desk game of Norton Crosses between you and Kiva. Was, yeah. was yeah, it was. It was. Uh, was you no, know, one of the more, more entertaining moments of the day. I saw somebody actually putting a uh, marble racing on Twitter this morning. I tell you what, that was brilliant. It was great. Week one. Well, Preno, I'll, I'll start with you. The, uh, an unprecedented kind of. Halting off of the football season, no one could have predicted anything like this uh, at all. How do you think we go when it's all kind of over and done? When we can return to to, to the stadiums and, and, and playing these matches? What's the fairest way to kind of sort everything out? If if we do return, um, we don't know. It's a simple answer. Like yeah. you say, it's unprecedented times. I mean, I was probably cynically quite hopeful that we might be able to squeeze the derby match in. On was it Thursday night when I, I listened to Boris Johnson's statement uh, on the way home saying that major gatherings of people have a negligible impact on it, the spread of coronavirus, therefore, you know, so no major sporting events are going to be postponed. And yeah, Mikel Arteta contracts coronavirus that evening and suddenly the entire football world just ignored the Prime Minister's uh, statement <laughs> and went ahead and, and postponed games. I'm not arguing with that, to be so, said. So, no, you know, so whether, whether he's right or wrong, we don't know. I mean, it was very, very contrary to what the rest of Europe was doing, you know, so his, his approach. We'll never know whether it would have worked or not. But I was sort of cynically hoping that we could have squeezed the derby and then never had a three-week break anyway without a match uh, as a result of being out of the FA Cup. But, you know, so as other people have said uh, on Merseyside, if these steps actually prevent one person from becoming ill and, uh, you know, possibly losing their life, which has happened, you know, so across Europe, it's the right decision. So, you know, we have to, you know, sort of hold by that. And then what you do if and when football is returned again, who knows? I mean, obviously, there's a big white elephant in the room on the other side of Stanley Park. Um, what happens with the, you know, so title bid and clearly... I've been advised by lots and lots of Everton supporting people that the only fair way of resolving a situation is to abandon the league season and start again <laughs> next season. It's in my way of thinking that's not fair. You know, Liverpool have got themselves into a position that they have so far this season, and you know it would be wrong not to see it through. But then there's the counter argument that you know, so I'm old enough to remember Everton having 
Um, something taken out of their own hands through no fault of their own in 1985, the opportunity to compete in the European Cup. And, you know, so it, all kinds of arguments are going left, right and centre. Um, we don't know. We can only wait and see. I mean, we've got at least three weeks uh, before football is tentatively scheduled to return. And if the coronavirus um, spread slows, uh, if it levels out a little bit, maybe we'll be able to return then. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll be behind closed doors. We just simply don't know. Uh, things seem to be changing day to day. So we've just got to sit tight, you know, sort of wait, see what happens, and just pray that nobody else gets ill. I think it was just a shock how rapidly it changed on a, yeah. you know, Thursday evening into Friday morning, wasn't it? But I think Wayne Rooney's comments on the whole scenario were quite interesting in the, uh, in the Sunday Times. Yeah, it was a good call. This, this weekend, you know, because he was, I think he was quite scathing, to be honest, mm-hmm. with a. Uh, with his comments, he was saying that footballers felt a bit like guinea pigs in this whole scenario. But I think the most interesting thing for me is that he compared, obviously, the situation between three Leicester players undergoing self-isolation for this uh, for this coronavirus. Uh, but then, that, I think that came before Boris Johnson's mm. press conference. Boris Johnson said what he said in his press conference. A few hours later, Mikel Arteta uh, contracts the, uh, the issue and suddenly, now, <laughs> now that was apparently the cut-off point to then play. Uh, uh, to then suspend the Premier League and you you do just kind of wonder why so surely as soon as yeah. one person involved in the Premier League has got it then you just think right this, that, that's got to be it and uh, you know I think it's just it's for the good of the country really that the Premier League is uh, Premier League and EFL of course and the WSL have decided to you know suspend their matches for the foreseeable future you know I personally can't see it coming back uh, after the after April the 3rd like we'll think we'll probably be in for a further spell of postponement but yeah I think it's just it was absolutely the right decision to make and obviously you know it quite clearly directly affected Everton as well on Friday morning with one player undergoing self-isolation mm-hmm. having you know having symptoms that were uh, consistent with this COVID-19 but apparently the player is recovering quite well now after comments from Ancelotti and Brands over the last couple of days which you know, fingers fingers crossed they do get back, uh, get back sooner rather than later. And you know, it's just going to be so interesting to see. You know, once Everton do open the doors of Finch Farm and Goodison Park, etc. Again, you know, do the players go back to training over over this sort of break? Do they just train from home? Like, there's so many questions that you've got to ask about. You know, this squad. Like, if if they have such a such an extended period out. Can you expect them to come back and play football straight away? Like, will they need some sort of almost like a pre-season style friendlies, surely, to try and get themselves back to match action again? It's there's there's so many questions that arise in a situation like this, and I think it you know it's exactly as you said at the start. It's absolutely unprecedented, and I think you know anybody trying to answer these questions right now is going to it's. It's going to struggle massively. I, I don't know how the Premier League are going to come up with a final solution to all this because I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. I, I just don't the, the know. Only, the only thing that will give them a chance is if UEFA, who believe, meet uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, to discuss the Euro 2020 finals. And if they do postpone that by a summer, that then gives the opportunity to maybe extend the season yeah. into the summer months. Breathing and, room. Yeah, yeah and you know, sort of complete it that way. And to me, you have to complete it, really. I mean, not just whatever's going on across the park, but 
relegation yeah, issues. So, so spend them one quick season, one earth, anyone from them. But no, what, what you do then with relegation, who is relegated, what you do with the, uh, the you yeah. know European qualification for next season, who competes yeah. in the Europa League and the Champions League, uh, who comes up from the Championship. Uh, there's so many legal you know, writs that would be issued if the season was cancelled, not least because you know I think three billion quid is paid to the football, you know, so people buy Sky TV and BT. Um, and they're not going to accept, you know, so no football between now and the end of the season. They will want, you know, sort of money paying back uh, if the season does end now. Does the football authorities have that level of, you know, sort of funds in reserve to pay them back? It, there's so many issues. To me, it has to be completed somehow, whether that's behind closed doors or not. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. I agree with Dave, given that we, we're three quarters away through the season. It might have been different if we were halfway or a quarter away, but Everton, fortunately or unfortunately, are one of the few clubs who probably don't have a vested interest in that the way that this season's gone for Everton a few weeks ago we were talking about possible like European run which was incredible considering the struggles they'd had earlier in the season but not perhaps got the results they would have hoped for from those Arsenal and Chelsea fixtures uh, Manchester United sorry as well um, so just picking up um, wasn't it the one point from those um, those last three fixtures kind mm. of ends at any realistic European hopes I would have fought for Everton. So Everton are one of those few teams who, if the season was scrapped, it wouldn't really make that much difference either way. But as Dave says, obviously there's the, there's the title issue, there's European issues and the relegation issues because, again, with Karen Brady's comments, which <laughs> he subsequently seems to have backtracked on, uh, <laughs> seems very interesting, doesn't it, that somebody from a club who are outside the relegation zone and goal Just difference about, yeah. at the moment wants the, the season to be scrapped. I mean, yeah. you, no, you can't, you can't have that. Um, I mean, you think of the legal sort of challenges that would be made from um, the other clubs in the Premier League, the teams that might miss out from the Championship. So, yeah, I think the season has to be completed in whatever form. I think the Euros will get scrapped on, on Tuesdays, but put back a year, which would free up the summer. And hopefully it can be done um, with spectators in the stadium. I mean, if... If so be, I mean, if it has to be behind closed doors, well, so be it, unfortunately. But it would be nice. I'd wait a little longer if it meant that, that, that the yeah. crowds could come back because it would make it a bit more realistic, at least, yeah. to have those, those spectators in the stadium. I think it's a last-ditch scenario to have it behind closed doors. Like, if literally nothing else is possible yeah. for us to complete the season, then, yeah, play them behind closed doors. But, you know, at, the, at, at its very core, football is for the fans. And without fans in the stadium, it's just so noticeable, and it's such a different game. Like the the same amount of it, you can't cre- create the same amount of intensity on no. a football pitch in an empty stadium. It just it just can't be done. That's what makes the top leagues the top leagues in Europe is the fans. So, yeah, I, I'd use that as a complete last ditch scenario. But I agree with the lads. Like I think completing the season has got to be the priority. Marcel Brands has spoken today, Preno and. You know Everton's next game after if if the ban is lifted on time, if the suspension is lifted on time, will be Leicester on April the sixth. And, and Marcel Brands has said, "I wonder if we can play football on April the sixth. I don't think the chance is that big. Is is that something that you'd kind of agree? Can you not? Can you also not see football being back th- that early? I wouldn't, wouldn't like to be quite so final about that. But you know, obviously Marcel is Dutch. He's seeing what's happened in his homeland." Where you know the country is in almost like a state of lockdown, you know, so the, the spread of coronavirus is a couple of weeks more advanced uh, on the continent than it is in the UK, and so you know he's seeing what's happened in his home country, and you know, so maybe that's influencing his views. He's thinking, you know, wow, you know, so I've seen how bad it is back at home, and you know, if we're two weeks beyond that, I can't see football, you know, restarting again. We don't know. I mean, maybe 
the I would say the authorities, maybe the football authorities, have taken the steps that they have in time that will help slow the spread sufficiently. Uh, will help see numbers stabilise to the point whereby uh, you know we can consider some kind of restart. But again, when the prime minister made a statement last week, he was anticipating the virus hitting its peak in June. Uh, numbers continuing to climb until then, uh, based on you know, the expert advice that he was receiving. If that is the case, maybe Marcel's right. Maybe it is going to be premature to expect us to restart. You know, as soon as the Leicester game on so April April the sixth is, maybe we will have to wait even longer. But we just don't know. You know, so we're guided by figures. We're guided by experts in inverted commas. You know, so who actually you know have got experience of these matters? I say I've got experience of the matters. No one has. We've not had an epidemic like this for best part of a century. So you know, so no one knows. Um, you know, an epidemic that doesn't have an immunisation doesn't have a cure. It, it is unprecedented. So you know, we don't know. We're, we're guessing. And, you know, we're just hoping that, you know, so something can be restored to some degree of normality sooner rather than later. But we'll just have to wait. Could it be a, a help, though, Bees, in terms of uh, Davide Ancelotti speaking today has kind of said the one thing they needed was time, was time to work with the players. You know, the, the squad will obviously be given a, a week or so off. Mm. But then, you know, Mike Carlo Ancelotti, after the quite busy schedule we've had since he came into the club, Welcome the chance, as, as long as everyone stays fit and healthy, to get down on the training ground yeah. a little bit more? I suppose only if they are able to train, as, as Adam alluded to. I mean, we don't know. Is there going to be um, periods of isolation for the players? I believe at the moment that they're not doing that. If, if they can train together in the, in the meantime, yeah, it'll give Carlo plenty of time to work on ideas and stuff that he might have previously only been um, having to wait until the pre-season to do to get the, the players... Um, sort of working to those methods but it all depends on like I said if, if they can train properly and um, or, or work as, as, as a group um, during this period and then as, as we've said as well are, are, I suppose everyone's in the same boat or similar boat um, in regards to much sharpness and fitness I mean like going straight back in there for, for a competitive Premier League game you could say well it's the same for everybody but I suppose it all depends on the, the, the individuals at each club and if, if they are managed to keep themselves um, clear of this virus I suppose on some level it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of Everton's long-term injuries. Will Gabamon be back before the end of the season now? Yeah. Will Schneiderlin be back before the end of the season? Yeah. To be honest, at this rate, Cheng Tosin might be back before the end of the season. <laughs> I presume they'll restart exactly where the fixture list left off, which means that if they're not up to speed, a derby match is one hell of a fixture well, to try and yeah. you know, sort of find your form and your pace very, very quickly. Well, this is obviously the, the first time the, the Premier League season has been Shut down, but bees not to put you on the on the spot. <laughs> the the Everton season has been shut down once before, and in a real life escape to victory. Your, your article <laughs> yesterday yeah. tell tell people a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, that was um, a piece as a, a book um, coming out about um, the First World War, and it was actually very controversial when the First World War um, started because they they played on for an entire season, yeah. not like those <laughs> Patriots in rugby who uh, <laughs> went off the kingdom country straight away. But, the Oaks playing football played for a full season, and Everton had the, the almost surreal scenario of uh, winning the title in 1915, which is obviously a, almost a year into the war. But um, yeah, this was surrounded um, four former Everton players. There were people um, like um, Bobby Parker, who was Everton's top scorer in that 1915 season. Um, 
returned after the war with a, a bullet in his back, was never the quite same player. But these were four former Everton players, along with a guy called Steve Bloomer, who was a Derby County legend of the Victorian era, who actually um, went on to dub Everton's School of Science. So there's another Everton connection there. It was about um, this book that's coming out, about their tales in a, in a German uh, prisoner of war camp. They were all coaching in Germany at the start of the First World War, and were, as um, men of fighting age were interned by the Germans. So it's a story that um, follows them and their uh, escapades in a, in a real-life uh, prisoner of war camp. So I just want to, to look forward to And then, of course, obviously, there was the 39-40 season. It just got underway when the, when the Second World War um, began, and I believe that one was... Um, curtailed that season after just four matches with all the uh, the records scrubbed um, f- um, from um, the, obviously the official um, figures but it's quite different than both in the first and second world war in that football did continue in some form in that you had regional leagues and they more or less played throughout um, both world wars with sort of guest players but obviously the, the, uh, there wasn't an issue in regards to um, Mass crowds. It was more from a safety point of view. I think with um, bombing and stuff like that in the Second World Wars or restrictions. But you know, in those wartime um, environments, football was seen as very important for keeping up morale, stuff like that. Whereas now, as we, we're seeing, obviously we can't compare ourselves to those worldwide conflicts. Uh, here we are, week one, and we're wondering oh, what we're going to do without the football. <laughs> Cats playing cricket. <laughs> <Cats playing tricky. laughs> one one man who certainly hasn't been stopped by coronavirus so far, Preno, is Mr. Ancelotti. Himself, you spotted this week <laughs> on Crosby Beach having a having a stall. Is it is it uh, heartening for you to see an Everton manager and a legendary manager at that kind of embracing his, his surroundings the way that Carlo has so far? Totally, yeah. I mean, we we discussed it at great length uh, a couple of pods ago about whether it was a good thing or a bad thing of actually living on Merseyside and mixing with the supporters. And I think we all concluded that yeah, it's got to be a good thing. Uh, he's Mixing with supporters who are making him very aware of the level of expectation you know, so on, on Everton managers. But he's also just shown a common touch, just shown that you know, he's, he's, he's one, of the, uh, one of the locals. He's you know, one, of, one of the guys that is quite happy to wander around Bootlestrand Shopping Centre one day and then Hull Road uh, the next, counting the number of statues that are out there. <laughs> just, just, just a normal guy. And it is, it's quite heartening. Um, I think Marco Silva, we talked about living out in Cheshire and you know, Ronald Koeman moving out there deliberately to get away from the supporters, you know, to have a little bit of a switch off. And it just leaves you with a, a little bit of sense of frustration that maybe they don't quite share the same level of, I, I don't know, you know, sort of joy in what the club are achieving than the supporters do. Uh, so seeing a manager actually in Merseyside, wandering around, mixing with fans, yeah, it's a great thing. Um, I enjoy seeing stories like that, and you know, so more of them, please. Something I touched upon on, on Saturday when we did the piece, because for various reasons, have you said that um, various predecessors, Marco Silva, very guarded about his private life. It wasn't something he really d- discussed. Um, Ronald Koeman and his red um, Christmas tree out there in Old <laughs> the Edge. It's not, a, it's not a mistake that you imagine Ancelotti would repeat um, before that. Um, Roberto, sorry, Sam, Sam Allardyce, I think, was, was he, he had the house in Bolton there. Um, I think Martinez was parboled from his time in Wiggins. And obviously David Moyes commuted for over a, a decade down from uh, Preston Way. So, yeah, it, 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 it's a unique um, situation. Everton, Evertonians haven't had this over a long time. A, a, a manager amongst them within them in the same community. And, yeah, Carlo's out and about. He's really enjoying it. I mean, he's very proud of his, his roots there uh, from rural Italy, um, Reggio Emilia, a, a landlocked county. So I think he's enjoying his time. Mm 
on Merseyside being by the sea. He's lived in some of Europe's great cities, um, Paris, Madrid, um, Munich, um, London, um, been cushed, come from Naples. So, yeah, I think he's on and off the pitch. He, he, he's, you know, he's 60 years of age, his wife's from Canada, and they're, they're making the most of being here. Seems like every day, Adam, the... That is something new from from people kind of recording them in his car to mm. to his strolls across Crosby Beach. Did, did you expect this level of of interaction from a from a storied manager like Ancelotti? Probably not, to be honest. That I think that that maybe is one of the most surprising things. You know, he came with such a reputation of you, you know. You just look at that honors list that he's got, and you think to yourself, "Wow, th- this is this this fella means business." Like he he is. He is by far and away the most you know, storied manager that Everton have ever mm. appointed. And, you know, for him to come in and straight away instantly bring himself essentially down to earth and wanting to have that sort of intimate connection with the fans, I think it's, it maybe is a bit more surprising coming from somebody so successful, but perhaps that's why he's been so successful. Yeah, you know, he, he, he does yeah. just have the... I think I was discussing this on the podcast the other week, you know, he... He has that personal touch with the players, certainly, because a lot of his former players say he's a great man manager. You know, he's worked wonders with me. I'm still in contact with him. You know, you could see how he acted with Frank Lampard uh, just before the Chelsea game. You know, Lampard was absolutely delighted to see him again, you know, and he seems to have that effect with a lot of former players. And I think he'd have that effect with a lot of fans now as well. And I think it is an important thing for, you know, I, I think we saw how important it was when Duncan Ferguson was on the touchline for Evertonians to have that sort of man that they could have that real connection with and somebody who they believed really was buying into everything that was happening on the pitch. And I think Ancelotti, you know, the best way for him to do that without having had that Everton connection in the past of being a former player was to instantly ingratiate himself with the fans and learn about, you know, the the area, the club, anything that he, you know, he... he didn't get the chance to learn about uh, about Everton before, so I think it's <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Amar, you know, he was in the Star Trek film, wasn't he? When he was Carlo Ancelotti. Carlo Ancelotti has been in Star Trek. What? What? Because his because uh, his <laughs> surely worth a, a story in itself. Well, yeah, because because his, his wife lives in Canada. He was over in Canada while they were filming uh, one of the Star Trek films, one of the recent Star Trek oh. films. And uh, he like he knew the director for I can't wow. remember how he knew the director <laughs> and the director said Do you want to be on Star Trek so like there's there's a shot where like the doors slide open uh, and he just, he just walks through and like Batman's being filmed here now and we're half expecting him to <laughs> pop, half expecting him to pop up in the new Batman this, film this, <laughs> any, anyone listening to this podcast I think it's win worth the admission fee just for that fact yeah. Yeah. Well, there you well, go that's well, made my day yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah. Alex McLeish does um, a cameo in Stan and Ollie um, he was apparently a Laurel and Hardy fan and if you you watched the film he's just sat there reading the newspaper doing all that but I can't verify either way about the Star Trek I didn't, one, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't notice yeah. Even in that film, yeah. Oh my god, there we go. It could, it could spark a series. Film. Footballers in movies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we've got to have something to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I think the big Carlo question I want answering is just what was he getting from Bootlestrand? What is it? I was. I was having a look on the Strand website the other day, and there's some mm. good shot. There's hair hallucinations. Maybe he was going to hair mm. hallucinations. So and so. Is so? Yaters? Does he yaters in the stand? Have well. I, I lived just down the road from where the Bulls stand <laughs> when I was when I was younger, and no, it's not a place you choose to return to in a hurry. I so want to know where he got that yellow cap from. Nice. Like he's not. He's not exactly trying to be inconspicuous, is he? Yeah, that, <laughs> he's that just glasses. strolling down Crosby Beach with a bright <laughs> yellow cap on. <laughs> well, today, Preno, recording this on on Monday afternoon, we should be geared up for 
a Merseyside side derby. Yeah. What, what what do you kind of think about? Is it pushing back the inevitable, or do you think a break could maybe give Everton a little boost? And Liverpool weren't in great form anyway going into the game. So no, no. My, my, my initial concern was that it was going to be played behind closed doors. Yeah. And I thought that would benefit Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, because you know clearly an angry you know seething Goodison Park you know trying to influence Martin Atkinson, although it didn't succeed last time we refereed the game at Goodison. Um, you know, so it could work in Everton's favour. Adrian had obviously had you know a couple of ropey uh, appearances prior to that, and he was still going to be the goalkeeper that night. Um, but you know, by the time we return, or if we return, Alisson, you'd imagine, would be fully fit to take mm. his place again. So the, the swings and roundabouts all the way around. Um, yeah, Liverpool weren't playing particularly well, but having said that, we just had an absolute disastrous performance at Chelsea. The worst performance I've seen, I think I said at the time, since that 1997 defeat at Coventry City. And how did we follow that up? We followed it up with an unexpected derby match win. Mm. So you don't know. Well, I, I just fear that maybe the break has worked a little bit more in, in Liverpool's favour in this. They can, I don't know, try and rediscover a little bit more rhythm, you know, get that intensity back again, you know, because Liverpool rely so heavily on intensity and it had failed them, you know, so for you know, so two or three games. But this is all presupposing that we are going to return, you know, sometime soon. You know, yeah. maybe in the middle of April or you know, start of April. We don't know that yet. If uh, it goes on even further than that, as the boys said before, it could well be like uh, the first match of a new season when you generally do get occasional shock results because no one knows what kind of kind of level you know, so each side is at. Will they have played behind closed doors games to retain sharpness? We don't know. Have they been training on their own in that time? We, we just don't know. So it could be like a real, you know, sort of shock. Uh, performance stroke result when they finally do play it again let's face it we've waited long enough for one so could who knows, all, who knows? we could all be heading to the derby in shorts and t-shirts by the time <laughs> here, by the time I've, I've seen a summer derby match and it was the most uneventful boring match you've ever seen it was in the Umbro Cup competition in 1995 I think it was and uh, it was a nil-nil game and there was supposed to be a penalty shootout on the final whistle to decide who finished third and who finished fourth and they just like shelved it. No, we're not playing a penalty shootout. No one wanted to lose a pre-season friendly, even though it was pre-season. It was actually it was it was the John Moore centenary right, the yeah. following year, ninety six. Yeah, they uh, and Gladbach and Porter was the final, so it was the, the warm up for that was a, was a Merseyside darling. Like you said, yeah, they couldn't even be bothered. They thought it was best to go without the penalties. <laughs> and while we're talking about summer derbies, <laughs> Phil Neal's testimonial match. I remember that very very well. It was at eighty five? when uh, Everton went 2-0 down and I got very, very angry because the second goal was a penalty presented to Phil Neal to allow him to score in his own <laughs> testimonial match. And I was thinking, you can't do that, it's a derby. It does, it's like, <laughs> there's about 30,000 in there at the time. It was like a hell of a gate. And they did, Phil Neal scored, Everton went 2-0 down and came back and won 3-2. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a proper team, that. It was tremendous. Obviously, Carlo's impact has been pretty much nearly all positive. Maybe take the Chelsea game and, and also that... Derby defeat in the FA Cup at Anfield, Adam. So, w- when we do return, mm. you know, how big would it be for Carlo to to be the man to kind of break this Derby hoodoo? And you know, Liverpool who might have taken the foot off the pedal a little bit, who, who could theoretically, you know, they will win the Premier League if if we do return. Could it be a big chance for Everton to to break that door? Do you think? Uh, or does coronavirus just complicate yeah, the whole thing? Yeah, I, I, I think it's I think it's just too hard to think about at the minute, isn't it? You know, it's just it's, I, I just think it's a bizarre situation that we find ourselves in. That yeah, one of the, one of the fixtures, one of the main fixtures that you look for at the start of the season, 
when uh, when they all get released, you know, well, when are we playing Liverpool at home? That that is instantly now just been thrown out the window a little bit. You know, it's something that the whole city builds up to for a good long while, and you know, and I think quite rightly, don't get me wrong, it has been it has been shelved, and you know, I, I think maybe we we just need to think about when, well, if we're gonna play it, let alone yeah. when we're gonna play it. It's yeah, it's just it's just a really bizarre situation that we find ourselves in at the minute, and it's something that you know, we've got to take on as a whole country, not just as you know Everton fans, not just as football fans. Like it's just people who, people who live in the UK all need to band together and you know try and you know, keep each other safe, keep keep well, and well, wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> and for for the final segment, there I'll, I'll start with a, a bit of a quiz question. Oh, oh, football, the football it's, it's season was still well and truly. Underway on this day, eighteen years ago, two thousand and two. Oh, I know the answer to this. I'm what was special about yeah. it, bro? Is it what takes me today? Sixteenth of March. We played Derby County, and uh, not Derby County. So that was a following oh. game. We played Fulham. It was uh, oh, David Moyes' first match in charge. We, uh, we scored after twenty nine seconds. Some people say thirty one, but it's never been absolutely you know so. Sure, sure, me. Sure, absolutely leathered one in from uh, just inside the area. Absolutely flying stars. We then made it 2-1, I think, Duncan Marrow, 2-0, Duncan Marrow got the second. Yeah. Tommy Graveson got himself stupidly sent off yeah. with about 40 minutes not, not like yeah. Tommy. And then, uh, you know, basically clung on, 1-2-1. One, one. And it was it was a famous introduction. Then went to Derby County, 1-4-3. Uh, it was like, you know, wow, where has this like sort of man been? David Moyes was an absolute breath of fresh air uh, when he came into Goodison Park. And I didn't genuinely think that we were in relegation trouble that year, but we were actually flirting too close for comfort, shall we say, and him coming in, you know, so did give that little bit of impetus and that bit of momentum to take Everton safely away from that. And then we all know, you know, so what David Moyes did. But yeah, I've got very fond memories of that game. Uh, that was when his hair was absolutely shock bright red. Mm. Uh, you know, so the Everton fans chanting, he's got red hair, we don't care. He'd given that People's Club statement at the press conference only two or three days previously. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it, it was a good day. Was you was you in attendance that day, Bees? I would have been doing um, Vauxhall Motors back yeah. then for the Ellsmoreport Pioneer. Um, I remember more so actually the following week that that Derby County win because I was I was over doing a, a girls basketball tournament in Sheffield when that result came through. But yeah, definitely like Dave said. Um, Moisey was only about 38 or something yeah. at that time wasn't much older than some of the senior players in that, that first week um, the first ever some manager younger than me yeah I think Gaza was out the door by the end of the first week and Ginola not long after him some of those big names who were obviously past the best and he obviously in- installed um, hungry young players over those those um, coming years and after just one top half finish in the first decade of Premier League obviously it became a, a regular feature under David yeah and he very much had the fire in the belly and the fire in his hair at that time <laughs> <laughs> and, and Adam, it, I was in attendance was you there? yeah that was my first that was my yeah. first season as a season ticket holder really yeah it's a plucky little seven year old lad in the, in the upper Bullens. can you remember that game? yeah, yeah, I, rem- yeah. I remember Unzi's goal very well yeah I was sat next to me sat next to me cousin we'd hardly like sat down in our seats yeah <laughs> when uh, when Unzi smashed it into the back of the net, yeah. <laughs> I listened to that game on the radio. I think, and then my dad came home buzzing. So it was a it was a good day for for someone like like me who, who whose whole childhood was shaped by by Moyes. What do you think we'll ever see a manager like that again at Everton who will spend more than a decade at the helm? Oh, hopefully Ancelotti. <laughs> 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 into a at this rate. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just 
it's a trend that you just don't see often enough in football anymore, do you? I think football has gone a completely different direction to you know the kind of model that we had of you know long term managers. Yeah. You know, we had Moyes, Ferguson, Wenger. You know, you essentially you're considered a long term manager now if you if you're at a club three, four, five years really. So uh, yeah, I think I think it's just Everton have adapted to an ever changing uh, football society really in that sense. So. Unless, unless the wider, the wider trend in football changes, then I, pro- I probably can't see Everton necessarily booking that trend, particularly. I think, I think it's the exceptions to the norm. I think Dave was is Harry Catrick the only other ones who've done yeah. longer than that at Everton. So yeah, I mean even obviously you can top Howard's three spells up together, but obviously you did six years, three years, and then um, one year. But yeah, I think I, I, I wouldn't imagine we'd see that again. Might do, but. I, I doubt it. If you, if you look at those other tenures you've talked about, Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger, they were shaped because they had success, which yeah. is why they stayed so long. David Moyes, I think you could argue, achieved relative success compared to what had gone in the decade previous to him at Everton. But it underlined, you know, so how much Everton stock had fallen in that time. That you know what he achieved, which was consistent top seven, top six finishes, could be seen as success. And that got away from what Everton were, you know, prior to that. If Everton hadn't won a trophy in three years, yeah. the manager was moved on. Gordon yeah. Lee was sacked because he hadn't won a trophy in three years. And, um, you know, the things had started to slide. And I kind of hope that Everton are moving back towards that level of expectation now. I mean, Farhad Mashiri is a very ambitious, you know, so very bold owner who wants success for his football club. As he said, he doesn't want Everton to become a museum piece. So you would hope that... Yeah, so if you know managers aren't achieving success in a relatively you know short period of time, three years, four years, five years, they'll be moved on. Um, Carlo Ancelotti is the you know we all love him. We think you know he's a great manager, and if anybody's going to help break that mold, you'd imagine he would be the man. So you would hope that he will bring success to Everton, and that I mean success like winning a trophy or you know so sort of qualifying for the Champions League. And in that case, we will see his tenure endure for a long period. Certainly hope so. And with no score predictions to finish on, maybe we can get a Dave Prentice exclusive. What what did David say to you when you sat next to him in the in the press box a few weeks ago? You, you were there on on match of the day next to next to Moisey, <laughs> looking suave. Did he? Well, he was in the director's box with me, so that was the first question: What the hell are you doing in here? <laughs> <laughs> so we had to uh, you know sort of overcome that one. No, no, he was just talking about uh, how things were at West Ham, and yeah, I'm not going to betray too many confidences, but it's fair to say that. He was totally aware of the size and the scale of the task confronting him to keep West Ham you know, in the Premier League. And he was also quite pleased to be back at Goodison. Um, I think he was trying to keep a low profile. And uh, whatever I said to him during the first half of that game clearly didn't resonate because he disappeared second half when he sat somewhere <laughs> else. So maybe I upset him. Did he, did he not turn to you and say, Preno, we made a massive mistake letting go a young 14, 15-year-old goalkeeper in? In 2010, no. strangely enough, he didn't mention didn't that. Mention in the slightest. Didn't mention me. <laughs> no, well, you didn't cross his radar. Well, that's a nice. That's a nice place to leave it. I suppose. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us, and we will be back later in the week, maybe, uh, or, or maybe next week, depending on how things pan out with the coronavirus. Uh, please rate and subscribe on Acast and on Twitter as well, and follow the Royal Blue Podcast Facebook page to join in with the action and send your comments. Chris, Adam and Preno, thank you very much for joining me and we will see you soon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.